0: This is Simone Cicero, the host of the Boundless Conversations podcast, an ongoing exploration on the future of platforms and ecosystems. These conversations help us make sense of what's coming next with platform business models, the dynamics of marketplaces, business ecosystems, and much more. Join me, my regular co-host Sina Heikila, and other guests as we explore new perspectives about how we organize a scale in a rapidly changing world.
1: Okay, so here we are back at the Bounderless Conversation podcast today with a bit of an unusual episode. We are taking the chance to have a little bit of a, a check-in between our regular guests at the start of this year. So today we, it's only me here with, the, with Simone.
0: Hello, hello everybody.
1: We wanted to, to start basically by just sharing some ideas of the research that is going on at the moment uh, in boundaryless, and uh, also how it relates to well our, our various lines of act- of activities, and to reflect more broadly, I would say also on uh, on the key trends that we are seeing, because it has been quite, uh, I would say probably a quite active last month in in the sense of uh, seeing a lot of movement in Web three. We have had a couple of interviews that have been very interesting in that regard, and so we found that this was a good moment to to just pause and and to look a little bit. So I would hand to you, to Simone, maybe to go through a little bit first on, you know, what, what is it? You, I know that uh, you are working very intensely on this new frame of reference, looking at new ways of looking at products and portfolios and patterns and different things. So maybe you can, you know, share a bit. What is that?
0: Right. The thing that we are seeing is a kind of consolidation of the patterns that have characterized, I would say, the last uh, more or less 10 years. Uh, so now when we think about products, uh, we, we never think about products uh, like we used to think about them 10 years ago, for example, and in terms of you know products that exist in isolation in a relationship which is a, a relationship between a brand and a consumer, let's say. Uh, so increasingly, products uh, are a bit of a mix uh, between several very interesting patterns that I'm going to try to... Recap about uh, very quickly. So, first of all, when we think about the product uh, nowadays, we have to acknowledge that uh, that um, you know, for example, if you think about a software as a service product, or in general, I would say a a bunch of. uh, you know, a kind of a service bundle that you provide to someone uh, that is your recipient of your of your product. Uh, you have to think about them as uh, connected. You know, so essentially the recipients of your your value, your key value proposition, being it. Uh, you know, for the sake of simplicity, let's think about a software as a service solution mm, uh, that maps out a, a workflow that these people are, are carrying on. So, for example, let's say you you offer services or or a a software as a service to uh, some producers of value in society. Let's say, you know, restaurant owners or, uh, you know, Airbnb hosts or uh, uh, e-commerce sellers or creatives or whatever, you know, whatever role they have in society, they're producing value, they're using certain workflows and you provide services to power their workflows essentially. Uh, They are also part of a network, right? So they are part of a network that normally connects them with uh, consumers on one side, if they are producers. Um, So one typical aspect uh, that we see is to to bundle, let's say, on top of a software as a service offering, or any service bundle, uh, a marketplace. And this marketplace often is about connecting customers, your customers, with their customers, right? And this is very common, especially when uh, um you know basically getting customers is a key problem for them so we have seen a lot of products uh, evolving from a single user value uh, solution so something that one single user can can use and consume uh, for example let's say uh, the story of uh, of uh, open table that started by giving people uh, the possibility to you know run their uh, restaurant rooms taking bookings and manage the tables and the orders and so on and then suddenly became a marketplace opening up to customers, right? So, so essentially, that's the first point that we are seeing. Uh, it's very important to see your products now as a bundle between a, a core service element, a core software as a service, a core set of workflows that you provide, and uh, a marketplace. And uh, as I said, the first uh, pattern of marketplace that you can think about is about connecting producers with their consumers, right? So facilitating demand uh, uh, identification, demand generation.
1: Since now you're talking about products, uh, clearly for those who are platform shapers, let's say, right? Those who are orchestrating the ecosystem. Uh, how does this relate to, for instance, a, a, a corporate a, a organization who want to start the journey, who are not, you know, there yet, not having develop the portfolio of product in, in that sense if you see what I mean
0: yeah I mean I think we're getting there later on in the conversation uh, because I, I, w- I will try to basically connect this with the organizational model but the important thing is uh, we understand uh, that products irrespectively if you are a startup or a corporate organization or whatever you think about or a cooperative whatever these products are part of a digital ecosystem so uh, it, it doesn't really depend on who you are. This is the new rule book, right? Uh, this is the new playbook of products. And uh, essentially you have uh, to comply with it. And uh, we will see later on, maybe if, if we want to approach this in the conversation, what does it mean from a perspective of what organizational model I need to embrace with my either small or big uh, big organization. So let's let's get there in a minute. One thing I wanted to add on top of this first initial, uh, uh, you know, uh, acknowledgement that uh, products are networks. So essentially, when you give a product to someone, you always have to think about, you know, what kind of marketplace you can enable on that Uh, is that, you know, normally these marketplaces are, as I said before, either connecting demand and supply or sometimes can be about connecting these recipients of your product. With uh, their own uh, service providers, right? You know, for example, think about uh, uh, what happens in co- products like uh, Salesforce, uh, Salesforce, App Exchange or uh, uh, Shopify, where they have these massive uh, consultants marketplaces, right? Massive advisors marketplaces, services pro- service providers that can help your. Customers with their problems, right? So you don't uh, help them directly often as a as an industrial corporation, as an industrial product uh, uh, would do. But instead, you don't just connect them with their demand side, but also sometimes with their uh, you know some suppliers that they can rely on to improve their quality of, of service. Uh, so, for example, in, in shop in Shopify, you have this massive marketplace that connects uh, uh, e-commerce managers with. Uh, uh, you know, uh, branding or marketing consultants, or or even you know uh, other other type of developers. So that's that's one thing,
1: and that's also uh, you know links back to the conversation that you had uh, together with Manfredi with um,
0: right Ivan uh, Draganov, Yes, yeah,
1: yeah Ivan Draganov. And uh, you were talking about you know the the finance financial services basically becoming embedded and, and enabling like a new generation of marketplaces, right?
0: That's also another addition that is worth uh, mentioning because uh, you're right when you say uh, so. Essentially, what are we seeing is that in in the in the in the context of enabling marketplaces uh, much more easily, and you know marketplaces are different uh, from traditional products, of course. So, for example, they have some elements of trust that uh, that they have to you have to create for two parties to interact and and a good example could be you know uh, reducing the risk that they have in interaction and this is a good example of uh, how financial solutions can solve this problem so for example providing an insurance and uh, uh, it, this is a more general pattern we are seeing as you mentioned that uh, financial services are you know, pouring into these marketplace systems and enabling, essentially, easier interactions, right? To, by adding you know, insurance elements or you know, uh, other elements that can uh, facilitate interactions like escrow services and things like that. But this also helps me to connect with the last point that I think it's very important to mention, that even the core product that you as a company offer to your customers, let's say, as I said before, a software as a service offering, or a set of services that are bundled together to power these workflows, these in turn can be extended. So, right. So, what what are we seeing is uh, a, a massive emergence of this pattern that we used to call uh, the extension platforms uh, pattern. And uh, uh, online, our listeners will will be able to find lots of very interesting uh, uh, content around this topic. Uh, some some from um, Casey Winters, some other from from people from Shopify that have been releasing a lot of interesting bits on this, and we will link in the the notes maybe. So you don't just connect uh, your customers to their own customers or their own consultants, but you also use this marketplace pattern uh, to essentially connect uh, developers, so third-party developers that you can think of you know, not just developers, but uh, representatives of maybe other companies that have other products that want to be plugged in into your product, into your service bundle. Uh, so essentially, you create this marketplace that connects these third parties with uh, your customers, right? Your core customer, and through through what? Through what we call extensions. So imagine that your product is software-as-a-service for the sake of simplicity. And then you can have developers uh, using this kind of reverse API paradigm. So essentially, uh, you have your product connecting with these extensions, which are separate products, and then coming back into the user experience you are offering to your customers. So for example, in Shopify, you have uh, tons of apps, that people can deploy on their own uh, Shopify store uh, apps that manage, for example, CRM or uh, you know whatever loyalty, for, for example. So you can have a loyalty solution provider plugging into Shopify and extending the Shopify product, uh, you know basically the product basic uh, with advanced extensions, right? And this is something we can think of, uh, you know, in terms of plugins, applications. You can think of it in terms of templates. So. So think of uh, for example, what happens again in Shopify or in WordPress with people doing templating. You can think of it as libraries. but you can think of it also as you know data, algorithms. Uh, so for example, if you have a complex solution that is technically targeting uh, you know a very advanced professional that can use artificial intelligence, you can have uh, you know people developing algorithms. To to extend your 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 service, and such a pattern can also be in hardware. So you can have uh, maybe a piece of your offering is a hardware product. Then you can have compatible hardware extensions, or maybe you can have uh, you can provide APIs and so on. So that's essentially what are we seeing uh, coming up in the market. A product is no more just a product; it's always a mix of marketplaces core service bundles, extendable service bundles, and so on. So you always have these three contexts of monetization, where you get into the market. One is the core product you offer, for example, a software as a service. One is the marketplace that you facilitate, where you can have a take rate, for example, and taking a little bit of the transaction that happens. And then you have extensions, where you can allow third parties to extend your core product to improve the functionalities and, you know, really digging into ecosystem dynamics. So that's what products are all about today.
1: In relation to the last point, are people afraid of that, you know, that kind of openness? And I think we, it's going to lead us into the next part of this conversation. But like, I, I'm, I can see that this sounds great from a value creation perspective, not ecosystem systemic value. But for those who, let's say, own the core product, is it scary for for players to to let go, let's say, to open up, to to let others in? Is that still a problem?
0: Well, you know, it's a problem sometimes for for those that do not have this kind of mindset, right? So essentially, if you think about uh, what your organization uh, needs to really thrive in this ecosystem, in this kind of ecosystem setting, uh, on one side, you, you need to have this literacy, right? Your organization needs to understand this, these elements, these patterns. So if you are if inside your organization, for example, there is no marketplace literacy, nobody understands what a marketplace is, nobody understands what, it, what are the typical business models of a marketplace, nobody understands what does it mean to leverage and developer ecosystems, then you have a problem, right? You have to run uh, and train your people, uh, you know, trying to get them to really understand and grasp what the hell is happening in a product space which is uh, you know in a very dynamic flow at the moment you know all of these companies coming up with digital products uh, that power these workflows and get this marketplace going so you have to have your people uh, to understand uh, such patterns so that's one thing then another thing is uh, you have to look into your organization as a portfolio of products uh, so think about for example, uh, you know, having several products that uh, you run as an organization, uh, it's very likely that these products will have some overlaps in terms of, for example, uh, a user of one of your products could be a demand uh, a generator for another of your products, right? So imagine that for example, you provide a product to uh, I don't know a uh, uh, medical labs, right? And then uh, on the other side, you have another product, which is a marketplace that connects doctors to patients, right? And there is an obvious connection between these two. So you can, uh, you know, maybe bring the doctors to use the medical labs, right? So you can create another marketplace, maybe that connects these two. But this is just to give an example. It's really important that people understand that as you deal with a complex interaction between uh, products, uh, audiences and marketplace uh, suppliers, marketplace demand side and extension providers and developers, you have to make it easy for them to multiply their reach without uh, you know uh, creating silos between your products because at the moment of today in the society we live, the more silos exist in your product offering, the more uh, you know unnatural disconnections between products. The less you're being able, to, you will be able to grow, and the less it will be easy for people to use your product and and find the value that is increasingly in the network and much less in the product. So. Of course, everybody knows about network effects. Everybody understands, especially on this podcast, that uh, you know to really create something valuable like today in a world that is such a hyperconnected world, you have to uh, leverage on the power of networks. So, one big uh, uh, one big lesson here is uh, you have to tear down the silos and the barriers that exist in your portfolio products. You have to connect them. You have to make it sure that you can plug into what we call these. Um, uh, Essentially, this spillover growth perspective. So you can grow one product and then use the growth, the network you created on a product to feed into another one so that you can create more value faster uh, with your with your customers. And finally, and then probably this will leave, lead us into the last the last bits. Uh, of course, you cannot do that uh, by telling everybody what to do. <laughs> and that's another point. Essentially, your organization needs to embrace, a different model. You have to empower teams to interact with each other, to uh, you know, create products that are pluggable between themselves. And uh, often you have to do this not just inside your organization, but you have to think about your organization in a continuity with the ecosystem. So, uh, you know, there is this story, for example, about Amazon, which is very, I think, emblematic and maybe may worth saying before I leave it back to you, that uh, when Amazon enforced these uh, uh, units inside their organizational structure, and Bids also said, you know, you either connect with each other to an API, or you know, or you know, just fuck off, basically. That's what he said, and uh, and uh, and uh, essentially, what generated is. Uh, suddenly, the people running—I don't know—the marketplace business, for example, uh, they weren't so bounded to the categories of products that were coming from inside of the organization. But suddenly, being inside or outside as a, as a, as a provider of products, it was, in, it was basically the same for the people running the marketplace, and that led to Amazon uh, essentially embracing this open marketplace perspective, that made it such a giant uh, that it is that it is today.
1: Yeah, I think that's quite interesting um, as an example, because I also, as we are working with uh, now quite a lot of institutional projects, uh, you know, from the European Union and so on, uh, that are heavily, let's say, regulated. This, we, we see that there is, um is, let's say, there is a cultural debt and there is a difficulty to allow that kind of uh, openness on the one hand. It's uh, regulated for openness, so there are some specific conditions that that things have to be, you know, open standards, and there are uh, various ways to make sure that uh, that this to avoid the vendor lock-in and so on. And on the other hand, there are so many layers of of bureaucracy, of uh, negotiations, of building that literacy that you were talking about, um, that you can really see that this can be uh, sort of painfully slow if you don't have. Uh, that absolute blanket statement to say now you go with this approach and and like you mentioned you know allowing teams to do that and to experiment and to and to move move faster let's say so I think that maybe leads us into to the second part of the the conversation but I I think that's very interesting um, field that I think there are so many different levels of readiness for that in a way.
0: Yeah, you know, I mean, the question here is that uh, um, we are seeing pressure for openness, right? Because, and this is something that John Hager uh, really captured a few years ago when he said, it's not. It's not going to work to have platforms that are all disconnected with each other because there's so much pressure to, to create value for users that uh, you will have to tear down barriers. You will have to create open ecosystems where people can, you know, generate value across the spectrum, and you know, uh, partners can be able to participate permissionless uh, and so on. So we are seeing this pressure for value uh, from. You know, emerging from the challenges that we are seeing in society, the challenges we are seeing in the market, uh, and and more generally the changes that, that all our economic systems are subject to. So, uh, on one side, this can be achieved through policy, and uh, you know there has been a lot of talking about, for example, how do you how do you how should a policymaker approach a platform? Right. So, for example, you can you can uh, you can achieve this partially through policies, and for example. Uh, Masha Van Alstein and Geoffrey Parker have been writing a lot about this, uh, and Sanjit Chudari as well. Uh, so, for example, by 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 standardizing interfaces between platforms and users, uh, you can achieve that partially through policy, I'm sure. Uh, but on the other hand, I think uh, we as builders, so corporates, startups, uh, you know, cooperatives. We have to uh, embrace a new mindset in when we create products. And this is what we call a boundaryless, the idea of, our, well, mutuated by, you know, we, we took it from our good friend Greg Landua, uh, the idea of out-cooperating the competition. So how do you create something that is so cooperative, so integrative? in terms of a product perspective and ecosystem perspective, that it doesn't really make sense to compete. It doesn't really make sense to, uh, you know, get to um, uh, frictions uh, essentially, and uh, this is what we call the idea of creating last movers, right? What does it mean to create a last mover? Essentially, it means that if you create uh, create a business initiative, a business ecosystem initiative, you do it in a way that is open, you do it in a way that is transparent, you do it in a ways in a way that everybody can trust, uh, so that it's very unlikely that something competitive can, uh, you know. Um, overcome your initial uh, strategy okay and how do you do that of course this is a very open space still so we are researching on this you know we i mean not just boundless the world is researching on this and uh, of course uh, part of it is related to the um, you know burgeoning uh, energy that we are seeing coming from web3 uh, and the blockchain space right so there is a lot of comments uh coming up uh with regards to web3 uh you know we have been w- witnessing a fantastic uh, uh you know twitter battle these very weeks between uh, between jack uh dorsey and mark andreessen and and you know Chris Dixon uh, blocking each other, <laughs> talking about you know why the Web three is captured by venture capitalists or not. But the point here is that these technologies really make new patents available. And uh, for example, we are now uh, running uh, a new design process because we want to launch this software ecosystem. When I want to say we now, I'm talking about boundaries more specifically in collaboration with Higher. Uh, group that is one of our partners uh, since a couple of years now in 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 de- developing these new ways of organizing. So, for example, now we are working on designing a, um, a an ecosystem, software ecosystem, and launching it around uh, basically the idea of allowing uh, contracts uh, to be uh, the Core organizing element inside an organization. And what are we think, What are we talking about? We're talking about organizations made of small units, uh, powered by shared services that uh, dynamically uh, connect with each other uh, to create new products, new services, sharing uh, skin in the game in the form of revenue sharing, for example, or you know, investing into each other. So this is essentially an ecosystem for business contracting, right? And it's of course made of. Co-product, marketplaces of services, an extension platform pattern, and so on. So we're doing the same, as I said, when we started this conversation. But how are we approaching it? We are approaching it from the perspective of, first of all, embracing the concept of open source into this. And this means that all the layers of this system should be characterized by by, uh, open interfaces. And what does it mean with that? Uh, let's say that you create a new system and this system is based on a domain of the problem that you can describe. So there is this entity, there is this activity, uh, what I call the workflows, essentially, you know, a few, few minutes ago. And, and, and if you agree, let's say that you are going to use a sort of protocol and you make this protocol open and implementable by anybody. And you say, you know, this interface is going to be open, is going to be possibly subject to an open governance process, this means that everybody will be open to implement alternative ways, for example, to interact with the same domain of the problem, uh, and uh, people, customers, will be able to choose either one implementation or another, just based on the user experience that this provides. But if both of these uh, players implemented the same protocol, they will be able to Communicate, okay? To their software, for example, let's say that you have one unit in, in the case of I'm talking about. Let's say that you have one unit running a certain system, uh, uh, one team in one organization running a certain system, and another team in another organization maybe running on another system. If they both share the same protocol, they will be maybe able to have a contract between each other uh, just uh, because they use the same language. Let's say, and and the point here is. Uh, where is this data, these informational uh, structures, um, these info-sharing systems, where should they s- sit? No, not in, in a traditional centralized database, which is controlled by one of the entities, but there is where the blockchain technology really becomes uh, useful. So uh, the idea that we can have this shared consensus um, mechanisms and uh, now there is a burgeoning uh, technology um uh, you know uh, innovation happening on blockchains so for example for our product now we are considering cosmos sdk which is an amazing ecosystem uh, that deals with this idea of interchain interconnection so you can develop uh, uh, blockchains that uh, all talk to each other and essentially have a very powerful sdk which makes it easy to to develop on this on these chains but you can even think of the ethereum blockchain a, Probably a bit less on the blockchain, on the traditional Bitcoin blockchain, for for obvious, uh, uh, you know, reasons in terms of performance and in terms of costs. But the point here is, you have uh, you can embrace shared infrastructures where everybody can plug into. Uh, and if the domain of the problem is subject to an open governance process, everybody will agree on what are we talking about, and we can really have now. Uh, different uh, companies doing different user experiences, but making it easy to communicate with each other. So you can, if you if you take this and you project it, for example, on short-term rentals. Let's say, right, and you think of our, uh, Airbnb potentially saying, you know, this is the pro- pro- protocol we are using. This is the. Uh, the entities are the host and the guest then you have the nights and then you have the bookings and so on and then if everybody agrees on that and maybe you agree on on a shared process for open governance of this language then suddenly you could have maybe somebody publishing on on i don't know booking.com and somebody from airbnb booking a night directly on on the booking on the booking platform so i mean I'm sure this seems really unlikely if you think about how the internet works today. But this is where we are going, and uh, we're going there because there is such a pressure for efficiency, such a pressure for openness, such a fr- pressure for transparency of information, such a pressure for uh, you know basically uh, reducing uh, uh, competitive uh, the competitive nature of some of the layers of the system. So. We're not. We're not going. To, uh, I mean, we're not going to cut competition uh, uh, totally because you still have two competing experiences. But there's no real reason to compete on the protocol.
1: And I think the other thing is that, which has been fascinating when we were talking to, for instance, um, the guys from Colony, Jack and Aaron, and also to um, to Gabe from Brain Trust, is for someone like like me who read those concepts and I can understand it at a uh, an abstract level. Uh, but in terms of capabilities to implement um, something like like uh, like that on a blockchain, uh, interchain systems, etc., that that becomes you know you see a barrier in that sense. Even if you can connect to the concepts on um, on a conceptual level, let's say. Uh, but what I find exciting because I see that now this is moving closer and closer in, into something very practical, something much more accessible, thanks to the very long work that. All those people ha- have done over years and now it seems like there is a there is um an emergence happening almost that th- this will become more and more real uh, to people so I'd, and the the kind of thing that stuck with me f- when speaking to colony was that they said you know why not use these new types of of tools which are offered by web3 uh and blockchain technologies uh as well as we are using other software products to help us uh, collaborate in a more distributed manner. Um, so, so I, and I think that that is still something that we see on the horizon and in our in famously now uh, not yet paradigm. It feels like this is coming less and less myopic, and it, it's really getting the contours of of, of something new now.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I think it also deals with creating design tools, right? This is what we have been doing for ages now, right? We started with the platform design toolkit in 2013 that had uh, so many, you know, uh, copy uh, copycats and and so on. But essentially, it's ten years now that we are talking about how do you design a marketplace, how do you design a platform, how do you analyze the needs of the ecosystem, how do you power that in terms of design practice, right? And we do not have these design practices yet for Web3. Uh, at the moment, the Web3 is very complex. It has so many new architectural elements and new, uh, I would say, also paradigms that it's really hard to uh, for a designer, for a, especially for corporate space. Uh, to really engage with the possibilities that they, they make available of course projects such as brain trust that we recently interviewed they are you know kind of uh bringing some of the uh, patterns that we are seeing emerging in in web 3 patterns such as I don't know staking or stable coins or uh, governance tokens or work tokens I'm not gonna dive deep into this because it's not this is not the moment but Really, these new patterns that allow uh, to mix up uh, the tradition of user experience uh, elements, uh, designing software and design thinking with economic incentives and uh, um, openness in terms of infrastructure uh, uh, cooperation, Uh, all these things are becoming more easily uh, engageable, if you want, uh, as we move forward because of the work of some people like, I don't know, the people of Brain Trust, but also the people that are writing books or, or, or running, you know, the, the Commons Stack people, uh, the token economics people, and so on, that are trying to create these frameworks. And Boundaries itself is working on extending our canvases. Uh, to integrate economic space design and the new possibilities of Web3. And these are very relevant to the uh, product uh, system that we just started the conversation with. Because if you think of marketplaces, for example, uh, marketplaces normally have lots of spaces where you can use the primitives of Web3 uh, to power much more uh, network engagement and to use the capabilities of the network to run some of the key network functions so for example uh, think about vetting when you have a marketplace often you have to vet participants right Uh, and then this is something that you can do centrally but you can also uh, offload to the to the community so you can say for example please community review this participant this prospect participant and this is what for example brain trust is doing uh, and then if you do that you gain some governance tokens that you can use to vote on what the platform is going to ev- how the platform is going to evolve uh, to actually change the, the actual pieces of the platform that are implemented in a smart contract uh, for example changing you know the, the take rate of the platform changing the uh, you know some of the features and so on. so uh, this is one example another example is fascinating how for example Steel brain trust is using staking uh as mixing it with one of the key uh, trans- you know elements of transactions that happen in marketplace the bidding uh, the bidding phase so you can have on Brain Trust, for example, somebody posting a job and saying, you know, I'm gonna attach some uh, some Brain Trust token to this, staking some tokens that have an economic value, have a governance value, and saying, you know, I'm gonna lose these these tokens if I, uh, you know. Can sell the job posting, for example. So you improve the quality of the elements that are trading in the marketplace by integrating an essential uh, primitive of Web3, which is a staking. And we are learning how to do that. And I'm really thoroughly excited to think about what kind of projects we can create once we learn how to integrate these uh, patterns, how to create new patterns, how to create these uh, open domains, uh, open protocols, improving uh, the the possibility for people to create alternative implementations that still work together. It's going to be a completely new way to think about organizing an arena uh, uh, of value, organizing an ecosystem. In a way that everybody can participate, it's going to be very hard to compete with these implementations uh, from a, uh, I would say, a value um, extraction perspective. You no know, right. So that's essentially what excites us about, uh, uh, in terms of the, what's coming up in the in the product and design space.
1: Yeah, and I think, I mean, uh, just briefly before we we close this um, checking episode, let's say I I think uh, coming back to the experiences with different uh, projects that are very rooted in, for, for instance, we are working on a project called De Rural, which is about rural areas and really trying to create platforms that serve landscapes and, and actors uh, who are immersed in in the rural space, let's say. And the possibility of being able to have ways to design such systems in a new way is is very exciting. Then I still see that there is there, there is a long. Well, there seems to be a long way to go because of people need to to understand, to get on board, and to to sort of uh, feel empowered to to some extent to to engage in this. And I mean that's of course the mission of of Vandrella, right? To enable everyone to f- participate in the future organizing. But I I just think it's it's so exciting to think when it, when is it gonna? Is there a tipping point? You know, or or is this going to be very long? Is it going to just you know? Uh, blow up in our face in the next years? And and what what really could happen in terms of a paradigm shift in that sense? If
0: there's one thing I can say is that the tipping point is past us. So uh, actually, the, the tipping point, uh, we're just noticing, right? <laughs> and we're noticing in terms of the ecological singularity we're living, the technological singularity we're living. So all these things are happened already. So uh, what are we witnessing, I would say, is really the end of the uh, industrial perspective, right? So the idea that uh, centralized solutions that can be designed from one side and then, you know, pushed to everybody else, just need to drink it, uh, it's going to work. And we know that this is not going to work. We know that now we have to move into a post-industrial theory of organizing. And from what we are seeing, uh, a lot of this transition deals with uh, moving away from a consumer's perspective and, uh, um, you know, assuming the producer perspective. So, uh, you know, the idea that you have to build in first person, you have to build something where you have skin in the game. It's about moving from a theory of uh, value that is uh, centered around trade and, you know, consumption essentially, into a theory of organizing a theory of value that is much more about investing in the long term, having skin skin in the game directly, Uh, you know, going beyond the idea of delegating, uh, you know, how value is dictated to society, to a central entity. And uh, um, I think part of this will be achieved by, uh, partially by new possibilities that technology make available. So, for example, we have a a bold uh, thesis about work contracts are going to make uh, happen to to the firm. So we believe that uh, essentially a widespread uh, possibility to do contracts in a way that is transparent, uh, such as how, for example, smart contracts are enabling or more generally these new ways of organizing uh, that I've been talking about are enabling, will essentially empower teams to be much more independent in in deciding what is the work that needs to be done. And uh, doing this essentially means... uh, um, that you can as a person you can recontextualize your work into your context so when we talk about long-term long-termism uh you know we are sh- pretty sure that it deals with participation It deals with uh, first-hand skin in the game uh, creation of value um and this is clear because if you think about you know we've been talking about decentralization for a while now and uh uh, this is definitely, you know, um, uh, a trend that we can see. But what, uh, what is, what, what does it mean to decentralize systems if you do not take responsibility as a person, as an entrepreneur, as a creator to create your own organizing, to create your own products, to create your own economies? If you do not do that, how do you decentralize? You know, decentralization. You know, the idea that decentralization can come from the center is just crazy right decentralization is about bottom up things that happen from the boundary not from the center and in uh, guess who is on the boundary everybody right so this revolution in organizing is about everybody taking chance to develop taking chance to build uh, maybe on shared uh, info sharing systems maybe on shared models maybe using shared interfaces but then it's up to us it's up to us to create our own organizations it's up to us to create our own systems it's up to us to participate essentially this is uh, the end of delegation as i wrote a few a few weeks ago uh, uh, on the doomer optimism uh, uh, manifesto right and i i feel like you know i am very very excited essentially about this. this uh, acknowledging that uh uh what we are doing at boundary is to empower people to do so and uh, this is going to be our mission again for 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 years to come empower everybody to participate in this transition because just through participation you can really be uh, you know we can really make this transition otherwise again decentralization empowerment doesn't come from the center it needs to come from everybody
1: that's quite a nice wrap i think and there's a lot of resources that uh, well will come out in the future to to stay tuned sort of for new releases of um, of everything that we have talked about and we of course have tons of links now to put in the show notes of things that we we have mentioned throughout but i i think it's going to be a very exciting year i think
0: Thank you so much, uh, Sina, for for co-hosting with me so far. And uh, there are some interesting conversations coming up on the uh, Boundaries Conversations uh, podcast as well. So stay tuned. Uh, We are really now exploring, looking for new ideas. So feel free to drop us a line if you listen to this podcast and say, you know, guys, you have to look into that. You have to look into this. We are all excited about that. So reach out because really it's important now to look into the edges, to to capture the new things coming up and be attentive to uh, these sheets. So thank you so much for listening and uh, catch up soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Boundless Conversations podcast. We truly hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please share this episode on social media, review our show on any major distribution platform. And don't forget to subscribe for new episode releases. Stay tuned on boundaries.io for our latest news and updates. There you can also find our free design tools, opportunities to learn how to use them, and connect directly with us to use our help in designing your platform strategies and organizational transformations for the age of ecosystems. We also want to thank Walter Mobilio at Leo Sound for the ad hoc music.